All right. Well, guys, we have been uh, working our way on these Sunday mornings together through some of the great, what I call, one another passages of the Bible. And this is all bringing us up to really a season of decision. Uh, Mid-October, we're going to be launching some small groups. They're filling up fast. Don't worry about that. Uh, If they do fill up, my goodness, we will find other ways, other groups. We will do some more groups. But just fill up with reckless abandon. Commit to it and be a part of it. Uh, We are growing in our conviction as a church that um, God's heart for his people is that we would be part of a smaller group of Christians where we are known and where others know us truly. It's very important to have that be part of our life as a follower of Jesus. Sunday mornings are great. They're needed. These are important times when we gather together like this. But there is something else that we long, really, and I don't use that word lightly, I think we long to see flourish here among us. And frankly, it's something that uh, I don't know that I've ever experienced in my Christian life fully. If you read all of the one another passages in the Bible, and I was talking with a, a woman, a dear friend of mine, who is doing that in her devotional. She's been inspired by this series. She's studying in her private devotions through the one another passages. And if you just read through those, uh, what, what emerges is this beautiful, I would even say kind of a radical vision of a community that I really want to experience, really kind of desperately long for. Uh, the feeling I, fe- I, I experience when reading the one another passages is something close to homesickness. <laughs> it's, a, it's, it's sickness for a home that I've never lived in, really. <laughs> Maybe it's a longing for the garden. Maybe it's a longing for heaven. But I think we can begin to taste these things here among us even now while we wait for the promised perfect community that is to come. And so as we're working our way through these one another passages, um, that's, that's my hope is that we would take a step. We're not going to get there in one season. But one first step must of necessity involve us moving closer toward one another if we are to be a one another people. So we have things like parties of eight. We have small groups. We have lots of things that are going on. And I just want to challenge you, encourage you, especially if it uh, takes some moving out of your comfort zone, to go and sign up for a group like that. Uh, be vulnerable. Be real. Look for Christian friends because we need them. We need them, we need them. And that's what our conversation has been about on these Sunday mornings. And this morning, I'm going to give you the ending at the beginning, which is this. In order for these things to become real here among us, we cannot program our way to it. We need something supernatural to happen here among us. Now, having said that, I do think there is some ways that we as God's people can obediently cooperate with the supernatural. (laughs) And uh, that's where we're going to go this morning. I want to talk to you about two passages, really, primarily one in Colossians 3, 12 through 17, but we're also going to be looking at Ephesians 5, 18 through 21. So if you want to stick a bookmark in the one, we'll be kind of going back and forth. Again, that's Colossians 3, 12 through 17 and Ephesians 5, 18 through 21. Uh, Paul wrote his letter to both the church in the Ephesian church and the Colossian church at roughly about the same time. And this is while he was under house arrest in Rome. 
Uh, if you know your church history, uh, Paul was under house arrest, and while he was there, he wrote a number of prison letters, um, but the, his letter to the Colossians and to the Ephesians were both written under those same circumstances, and both letters were delivered through the same messenger, Tychicus. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. He's not here to correct me anyway, so we'll just go with that. Many Bible scholars have pointed out that the letters of Ephesians and Colossians are very similar. And in places, they employ remarkably similar language. The flow of Paul's logic and his arguments unfold in the same way in both letters. However, there are two passages in particular, the ones we want to spend a little time in this morning, that are so strikingly similar that one probably served as the basis for the other. Just imagine kind of a first century copy and paste. Like he's writing to the Colossians or the Ephesians, he goes, hey, I like that turn of phrase. (laughs) He goes over and, yeah, I want to write that down over here too. It's really kind of like that. Let's first read Colossians 3, 16 through 17. He says this, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, Do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So that's what he wrote to the Colossians. And then to the Ephesians, he wrote this. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus. Now for me... Uh, that the thing that is most interesting about comparing these two passages is not the language that is identical, but rather it's the part that's different. Uh, In Colossians, Paul begins by saying, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And in the Ephesians passage, he says, be filled with the Holy Spirit. And that's the main difference. And we'll come back to that in just a minute. But first, let's quickly walk through some of the ways these two passages line up in the same way. First, in both of these passages, the one in Colossians 3 and Ephesians 5, we are told to use our mouths to worship God and to address, teach, and admonish one another. So in the life of the church, there are two simultaneous conversations going on. We're talking to each other, and we're talking to God, and when we sing, we all talk to God and to one another at the same time. Interestingly, in both of these passages, there is an emphasis on singing together. Paul uses the same turn of phrase in both of these letters. He says, psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. And this is a great and worthwhile one another thought all its own for us to think about. All told, and we we did spend a Sunday talking about singing and why we do it in church. We did that several years ago. And you guys remember my sermons. You probably memorized them, right? You remember all those points. (laughs) But all told, the Bible contains over 400 reference to God's people singing together. In His Word, there are 50 direct commands for us to sing. The longest book of the Bible, the Psalms, is a book of song lyrics. The Bible tells us that the last thing Jesus did with His disciples before leaving the upper room on the night he would be betrayed, was to sing with them. When we sing songs that are saturated in biblical truth and that represent a right and fitting response 
to the truth that we have come to know and love in the gospel, the act of singing unites our voices into one singular pronouncement. And singing also unites in a mysterious way what we know with what we feel. Singing is a powerful and deeply enjoyable tool that God has given us in our worship that promotes unity within the body and which even brings our inner world into a right unity when we do it. I I used the analogy several years ago when we were talking about this, but if you just read the lyrics, if I just right now read the lyrics to the national anthem, you guys would be like, well, that's interesting, I guess. But if we all sing the national anthem together before a baseball game, it's moving. I've even seen people moved to tears over the singing of the national anthem. Something happens when we sing together the same thing in agreement. I remember one of the, uh, the really the, I, I don't want to be melodramatic, but one of the darkest years of my life. I was having an unbelievably difficult year in ministry. And Sarah, just out of pure pity, called friends and relatives and got me money to go to a conference. Just, she just saw that I needed to get out of Dodge for a little bit. And I walked into this hall, and there were 6,000 ministry leaders in the hall, all singing, all creatures of our God and King. Guys, I wept like a little baby. I don't know what that is. I promise you if somebody had been reading the lyrics, I would have just thought that's interesting. But when we all sang it together and we agreed with it, there was such a sweet unity. And my intellect was brought into unity with my world of feelings. And it was just a wonderful moment of deep worship. And again, I felt that strange homesick-like feeling when we did it that's akin to the deepest moments of worship I've ever had. So here it's very interesting that in these passages, the Holy Spirit, through the inspired pen of Paul, calls us to be a people who sing together. It's a deeply wonderful thing that we do as God's people, and really grateful that we have such gifted people who help us do it Sunday to Sunday. In both passages, Paul talks about the heart. He then moves on. So he talks about addressing one another, teaching, admonishing, sing songs. And then he talks about the heart in worship, again, flowing exactly in the same progression. In both passages, Paul talks about the heart as the fount from which worship springs. In Ephesians 5.19, we're told to sing and make melody to the Lord with our hearts. And Colossians 3.16 tells us to sing with thankfulness in our hearts to God. And of course, the opposite of singing and making melody with your heart would be just doing it with your mouth. But with your heart signifies that you mean it, you feel it, you agree with it. Similarly, when Colossians 3 calls us to sing with thankfulness in our hearts, it is again saying that true worship, true thanks that is honoring to God, involves a movement of the heart, not just the mouth. Now, both of these passages also conclude with Paul uh, calling God's people to give thanks to the Father in the name of Jesus. So in both passages, Paul talks about speaking truth into one another's lives, singing together and to one another, and then he speaks about our hearts in worship, and then he wraps up both of these passages by talking about giving thanks. The flow of Paul's logic is in every respect precisely the same. However, like I said, the interesting and I think the exciting thing that comes out of comparing these two passages 
is not found in seeing where they line up precisely, but again, where they are slightly different. That's where the aha is found. (laughs) And that's what I'm excited to share with you this morning. Once more, in his letter to the Colossians, Paul says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. But in his letter to the Ephesians, he says, be filled with the Spirit. He says, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. And the question is this, is Paul describing two different things here, or is he describing the same thing in two different ways? I I think it's the latter. In his letter to the Colossians, Paul says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. I think the idea of letting the Word of Christ dwelling in you richly and being filled with the Holy Spirit are both descriptions of where the supernatural power comes from to be a one another people. And this is the challenge for us to consider this morning. Look at the full context of what he says to the Colossian church with me. We're going to back up to verse 12. I'm going to read verses 12 through 17. It says, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Let me ask you this. Where does the power come from to live in relationship with one another, with compassionate hearts, with kindness, humility, meekness, and patience? Where are we going to find the strength, season after season, to bear with one another and to forgive? Where do we find the capacity to live out the radical love of Jesus, which binds the whole thing together, according to Paul in Colossians? in our relationships with one another? Where are we going to find what is necessary to be unified and at peace like members of one body? Where will we find the wisdom to speak, to teach, and to admonish one another? Where can we go to get a heart that is truly thankful to God in every circumstance? All of our talk about becoming a one another people must be understood and prayed for as a hoped-for movement of the Spirit here among us at State Road. Guys, you're wonderful people, but you're not enough. (laughs) I think the county has a remarkable culture compared to some of the rest of the country, but it's not enough. We cannot rely on our exceptionalism to bring into existence what's needed here. We need the Holy Spirit. We need to pray for something supernatural, something beyond us to take root and flourish and bear fruit here at State Road. The kind of community that Colossians 3, 12 through 17 is describing is not natural and it is not possible without the Holy Spirit. 
And I have to issue a warning. And it's something I think about every time I encourage you guys to go sign up for a small group, where I encourage you to go closer to one another. Without the Holy Spirit, without love that binds us the whole thing together, without the fruit of the Spirit in our lives, the love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, without all these things growing in maturity in all of us, all of my advice for you to move closer to one another could be like asking a flame to go closer to gasoline. Because when you bring people together, if the Holy Spirit, if we are not letting the Word of Christ dwell richly in us, if we are not filled with the Spirit, instead of what's being described here, we find bitterness, division, anger, broken relationships... It's a scary thing to say you guys need to get closer to one another. So there's a note of caution in what's being described here. Just look at the cautionary language in this Colossians passage. We find words like complaint, forgive, bear with one another, admonish. This is the opposite of encourage. We talked about encouragement a couple weeks ago. But admonish is when you kind of lovingly confront somebody. You're not saying keep doing that. You're saying cut that out. (laughs) That's what admonish is. It says be patient. This whole passage is dripping with language that's cautionary, that speaks to the real-life pragmatic challenges that face any church becoming the kind of community that we long for in our hearts, that we feel that mysterious homesickness for. There are some real challenges that face us, and there is a warning here that if we are not cooperating with the Holy Spirit, if we are not letting the Word of Christ dwell in us richly, if we are not seeking the fullness of these things, our coming together will be a match to gas. (laughs) Guaranteed. I really long for these one another passages that we've been studying to be lived out in sincerity here among us. I long for the church, God's special people, this people within a people, to point this nasty, bitter, divided, confused world toward a more excellent way. But there is no such thing as a synthetic Pentecost. There is no way to gin up in our own human striving and good intentions what the Spirit brings. We cannot program our way toward the desired outcomes. What we need and what we must pray for is a genuine movement of the Spirit among us if these one another truths are going to flourish and bear the fruit here in our church. Uh, I need to credit John Piper with this analogy, but I remember when I read it several years ago, uh, it really rang true with me because at the time... I was just coming out of a career in law enforcement. You know, in Ephesians uh, 5, it says, don't be filled, don't, don't be drunk, don't be filled with alcohol, be filled with the Spirit, right? And in this analogy, we kind of get a glimpse of what being filled with the Holy Spirit is. It says, don't get drunk with wine, be filled with the Holy Spirit. And again, when I was a police officer, I had loads of dealings with people who were uh, drunk. It's just a fact of the job. And there are certain things you, you can see about a person that tells you that they're drunk. Uh, they have poor coordination. 
I remember one time going up to a car. I'd pulled him over for crossing the double line too many times. And I said, could I have your driver's license? And it took three attempts to get his driver's license out the door. First, he went and hit the, hit the door. And then he overcorrected and brought it in a big sweeping arc <laughs> over his head. And then finally, very carefully, deliberately, he kind of stuck it out the window like that. I was like, I don't think we need to do a field test on this one. <laughs> I don't mean to make fun of it, but sometimes that's all you can do is laugh, right? Uh, it's a serious problem, though. But you can tell because sometimes uh, there's slurred speech. There's a reddening of the eyes. Uh, very often, there's a, their emotions are out of control. They're kind of manic. They're, they're crying, and it doesn't make sense that they're crying or but are you, you, if you've ever spent time with somebody who struggles with alcohol, you probably know what I'm talking about. There are some things you can look to and see. However, if someone came to you and asked, how do I get drunk? You, you wouldn't say, I'm sure, oh, it's easy. Here's how you get drunk. You just slur your speech. You stumble around a bit. You get really emotional. You talk nonsense. And voila, you're drunk. That wouldn't make any sense, right? Now you get drunk by drinking too much. Having slurred speech flows from a drunken state, but you can't become drunk by slurring your speech. Now, in the same way, you cannot become full of the Spirit by acting like you are. This would be just as silly. If somebody came to you and said, Josh, you're talking about the necessity of this being a spirit-filled church and our gatherings being spirit-filled, how do we get that? It would be really wrong if you said, well, just talk really good all the time. <laughs> just smile a lot. I don't, know. I don't even know what you would say. But if we just tried to describe what being spirit-filled looks like and said, there, go do that, we would be like saying, here's how you get drunk, just slur your speech and stagger around. It's not the same. You can't get there by acting like it. Again, we can't gin this thing up. No pun intended. Uh, Getting drunk means, to some extent, that alcohol masters you and makes you feel and act differently. So being filled with the Spirit means being controlled by the Spirit so that you feel and act differently. If we had more time, I could show you this from 1 Corinthians 2, 12 through 16, Romans 8, 4 through 8, Galatians 3, 5, that the primary way that we would drink in the Holy Spirit and thereby become filled with Him, is to read and believe the breathings of the Spirit recorded in Scripture. 1 Timothy 3.16 says that all Scripture is God-breathed or given by inspiration of God. Every blessed word of the Bible was breathed out by the Holy Spirit, and when we take the word in, it is as though we are drinking in the Holy Spirit. Here's why I think when we compare the Colossians 3 and Ephesians 5 passages together, it's so exciting. Paul, using the same ideas and the same progression of logic, as he's moving through, to one he says, be filled with the Spirit, to the other he says, let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. I don't think he's talking about two separate things. I think he's talking about one thing. And I think that 
this morning, if you're wondering, how do I get the Holy Spirit and you're not a Christian, I need to talk to you for just a moment. If you're a believer and have been for a while, please just be patient with me. I know the gospel is something you know already. But maybe there's somebody listening in this morning who does not yet know the gospel. You cannot have the Holy Spirit until you have put your trust in Jesus for salvation. When you've put your trust in Jesus for salvation, you'll be given the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will come and take up residence in your very heart. He'll give you the radical new capacity to follow God. And you'll, all your sins will be forgiven. Uh, the, the analogy I've used many times from this pulpit, and I'm going to do it again. You guys are going to get sick of hearing it until I get fired. <laughs> but if you ever go to a really big mall, you go in, you're looking for the shoe store. When you first go into the mall... You don't look for where is the shoe store. You look for the you are here. You must first know where you are before you can get to where you want to go. We all want to go to heaven. We all want to be saved. But the first thing spiritually, you must first orient yourself to know where you are. Now, the Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, Romans 3.23. And if you have not yet put your trust in Jesus for salvation this morning, the first most important thing I can tell you is that you are hopelessly cut off from God. You're lost. You are here. You have fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23 says that the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. If you're with us this morning and you have not yet put your trust in Jesus for salvation, let me just ask you this. What is the difference between a wage and a gift? The wages of sin is death. A wage is something you earn. It's something you deserve. Humanity deserves death. But God wants to give you a free gift. The free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The biggest difference between a wage and a gift, one you earn and the other you don't. One is just given because of the goodness of the giver. The amazing thing about Christianity is God has done for you, fallen sinner what you cannot accomplish in your own strivings. You cannot work. You cannot put together a resume of goodness that when you present it to God, he would say, you've earned admission into heaven. It's a free gift. It's not something you can obtain or earn. It's not a wage. You need to die to the impulse of saving yourself, and you need to trust instead in a Savior. This is the gospel, and this is Christianity. It's the good news. Every world religion says you must earn through do good works the favor of God. That's the old news. That's not the good news. Christianity breaks company with every other world religion by saying God has done it for you. Rest and trust in what he did and stop striving yourself. And then Romans 5, 8 says, but God demonstrates his own love for us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You can't clean yourself up to make yourself more deserving or worthy. God demonstrates his love for you in that while you were still in your lost, sinful state, alienated in heart and mind from God, he died for you then, when you least deserved it. And then Romans 8.1, one of my favorite verses in all the Bible says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There's no condemnation. It's all paid for. He did it. And we could go on, but that's the good news in a nutshell. If we want the Holy Spirit to be here, if you want to be part of a 
a Holy Spirit, one another community, you have to first begin by putting your trust in Jesus for salvation. And if you want to talk to me about, I'd love to pray with you after the service. If you, over the course of our time together this morning, or just in your relationship with God's people, you have come to a place where mysteriously, you don't even know how it happened, but yeah, you believe. You believe in Jesus. You've come to believe the gospel. God has given you a gift of belief. The eyes of your heart have been opened. I would love to pray with you and talk to you about next steps as a follower of Jesus. But if you are already a follower of Jesus, let me talk to you for a minute. How do I participate? How how do I encourage spirit-filledness here among us? How do we get that? Well, I won't tell you how to impersonate being spirit-filled. But I do think that one of the ways that you can do it is by getting into God's Word. I'll show you an example of this. Last Christmas, we studied the, uh, the great songs that we find in the Bible surrounding the Christmas story. Remember that? There's a bunch of songs. It's like a musical. One of the songs we studied is the song that Mary sang, that what's called the Magnificat, if you're a fancy person, which none of us are. I don't even know why I did that. <laughs> it's Latin. I don't know what it means. You know, I'm very fancy. I'll call it the Magnificat. You guys will all think I'm smart. It's good. But Mary sings this song. There's this amazing thing that's happening. She's going to be carrying in her, herself the Messiah, the Savior of the world. Unprecedented, amazing things are going on. She sings a song. And what's interesting is if you go back in, you, in the Old Testament, you find a song sung by a woman named Hannah. She's the mother of the prophet Samuel. And if you compare those two songs... They are in places word for word the same. Is Mary plagiarizing Hannah? (laughs) I don't think so. I think the similarities that we see between those two songs, what we saw back then in our study last Christmas, is it gives us a glimpse into the inner world of Mary. I really think she was a woman in whom the word of God was dwelling richly. Her prayers and her songs of praise are saturated in God's Word. Her inner world is what comes spilling out in this song, and it is a world with God and God's Word at the center of it. What does it mean that when Mary opened her mouth to sing praises, that Scripture is what bubbled forth and filled her mouth? It means, again, that she had let the Word of God dwell richly in her heart, So that when she opened her mouth to respond to the incredible thing that God was doing, out came psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. What we see in Mary is like an illustrated living example of what Paul is writing to the Colossians and the Ephesians. The word of Christ dwelling in her richly, she opens her mouth and out comes a song of praise, thankfulness, gratitude, all of the progression happens in that story of what Mary is doing. She was a woman not only familiar with the content of the Bible, but whose heart and mind were in the grip of it. The way Mary thought, the way Mary spoke, the way Mary prayed and worshipped had been shaped by what she had seen in God's Word. 
I don't think Mary was consciously quoting the Old Testament when she begins to sing, but the big takeaway for me is that her heart and mind were so steeped in the Bible that the words and thoughts of Scripture are what spill out when she opens her mouth to pray and to praise. Scripture is the language of the Holy Spirit. And when the Spirit runs to the well of Mary's heart, this is what's drawn up. This is what bubbles forth. This is what's recorded in our Bibles as her song of praise. And again, this song reveals a heart steeped in the words of thought and thoughts of Scripture. Now, when we gather together in our small groups, as we grow closer together, State Road, as a one another people, there are going to be times where we're going to open our mouths to speak. There are going to be times where we open our homes. There are going to be times where we open up with all vulnerability and where we receive in all vulnerability the openness of others. And I think we're rightly concerned to do that in a context where people are not letting the word of Christ dwell richly in them. How will you respond if I open up in all vulnerability about what's going on in me and what bubbles out is not the wisdom of somebody who's letting the word of Christ dwelling in them richly, but is more of the same nastiness I might have received anywhere? How important is it that we let the word of Christ dwell in us richly, God's people, if we are to become a one another people. The Holy Spirit, when he runs to the well of my heart in the midst of some conversation after dinner, what is he going to draw up and bubble forth from my lips in response to what you've shared with me? The challenge I want to give you as we close our time this morning of necessity is If you are a believer in Jesus this morning, you have the Holy Spirit. It lives in you permanently, eternally. But I want you to give the Holy Spirit something to draw from in your heart. Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. As we come together this fall, I want you to really commit And that word is often misused. But commit with some determination, some tenacity, some resolve to let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Spend time in the Bible. In 2 Corinthians 3, 16 through 17, it says, All Scripture is breathed out by God, and it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be, may be complete, equipped for every good work. Complete and equipped for every good work. I think that is a clear, unambiguous statement that the Bible contains everything that's needed for you to live a life that's pleasing to God. And part of that is that in spending time in the Word, we're taught, we're rebuked, we're corrected, we're trained up. And I need that. We all need that. So first, feed yourself. And then as it says in Colossians 3, then teach and admonish one another. That's the one another thought. Before we are to feed one another, we must first feed ourselves. We've got to let it dwell richly in our hearts so that then it overflows as a blessing to those around us in our groups this fall. So 
if this is not a spiritual discipline that you are currently pursuing with vigor, (laughs) that it's not really much in evidence in your daily walk with Jesus, I would just invite you and encourage you to let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And if you find yourself believing in Jesus for the first time, please talk to me or somebody else would love to pray with you and talk to you about next steps as a new follower of Jesus. Let me pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you so much. God, those words seem too small to contain the depth of feeling. But God, I thank you for the way that you took my sins away from me, put them as far away as the east is from the west. I thank you, Lord, that Jesus, motivated by love, died for me when I was still a sinner. God, I know, we know, as we gather before you right now in this moment of prayer, united with one heart and about to sing with one voice, God, that we do not deserve the good thing you've given us as a gift. We didn't earn it. Father, the sum total of our hope is on the perfection, the perfect righteousness of Jesus. Now, Father, we long because you've given us the Holy Spirit. God, we long, we truly long for you to make us more and more like the God who saved us. Father, our inner world is broken. We're still struggling to put off the old man and become more like Jesus. So, Father, I pray that you would give us new longings, new passions, new desires to replace the old ones. Give us a new capacity for obedience. And God, as we come together this fall, I pray that we as a people would let your word dwell richly in us. Fill us with your spirit, God. Let our movement together not be the movement of a match towards gasoline, but God, something wonderful, something fruitful and productive and honoring to you and helpful to us. God, be glorified here in State Road, and in each one of us. In Jesus' name, amen.